This is a VOFM special broadcast. The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to VOFM 88.1. Hear it. On the show this evening, we are absolutely honored and privileged to have Dr. Ashlyn Job as our guest on the COVID Report. Age 27 years old and uh, born and still residing in uh, the south of Johannesburg. She was born in Eldorado Park, graduated from the University of Witwatersrand in 2016 with an MBBCH, which is a Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery, and has been practicing ever since. She currently works as a general pediatrician and uh, has the Nikes of Chris Haini Baragwanath Hospital, uh, Tambo Memorial Hospital on her professional resume. And she joins us on the show this evening to shed insight that we could only ever get from her or someone like her, a media, a medical practitioner, a member of the medical fraternity who was unfortunately um, tested positive for COVID-19, had to go into quarantine for a period of uh, just over two weeks and has successfully recovered. And she has graciously agreed to come onto the COVID report and share her experiences with us. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the COVID report. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm very honored to be on your show today. As a medical practitioner, when the virus first broke out in Wuhan, what were your thoughts and sentiments about the virus and the reporting around it, so to speak? Well, you, you know, you, when, you, when you refer to things like epidemic, because at that time it was still sort of an epidemic, you, you don't really think of it as something that happens today. You consider it to be something of the past, you know, the Black Plague and the Spanish Flu. Um, so for me, and I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of my friends and a lot of my colleagues, we probably thought, oh, it's just another outbreak, you know, they're going to control it. No one ever actually thought, or certainly I, I did, definitely did not think that it was going to become a pandemic, not at all. Um, so yes, it was, definitely, it was definitely quite surprising, I think. 100%. I think it took us all by surprise in the Republic. But prior to testing positive, what were you doing when the pandemic hit the Republic? Were you perhaps practicing social distancing? What required of your job before, before testing positive? But as the pandemic hit, while we were still in the junior numbers, only a few cases here and there. Well, I think a lot of us were still quite confused as to what the situation was. Um, the numbers in South Africa were growing quite slowly. The rate was very slow. And I don't think we knew it was going to affect us the way it did right now. So certainly at work, you know, we were making sure we practiced better hand hygiene. Um, social distancing at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't as strict as it is now. So, I mean, we were still all having lunch together, for example, at work, but definitely practicing better um, self and hand hygiene. But then as the numbers start Started to increase um, and it started to become slightly more alarming and I think we all then realized hey no this is this is something that's quite serious um, then definitely the social distancing started and at work we rather than just practicing hand hygiene we would almost have um, I suppose you could call it tutorials 
on, you know, what is the proper hand hygiene? What are the steps of hand hygiene? Um, the social distancing and of course you know how this relates to looking after our patients you know we make sure that we always have alcohol-based hand um, hand sanitizer or washing our hands but you know sometimes you do forget you are human beings so that sort of became more strict and um, we were just more careful at work but as I say we didn't think at that time anyway it would affect us as much as it would as it would now That's, um, that's quite the polarizing picture that you paint uh, there, Doctor, and absolutely, um, 100%. It's only, it would only be natural that the, the more aware of um, something of this magnitude we become, the, the more our attitude um, shifts towards it. That was certainly the case, I think, um, on social media. I can vividly remember um, a lot of the reception to the initial reception to the pand to coronavirus being humorous, a lot of memes, a lot of jokes here and there. But as more information trickled in, the more we knew about it, the serious, the more serious um, we started to take it. Now, there's there's something there's something absolutely curious um, in your case, doctor, as as someone in the medical fraternity who finds out that they've tested positive for COVID nineteen. There's there's in there's a, there's, a, there's a term that um, permeates colloquial discussion when um, someone who is so invested in something that they know sort of the insider vernacular, the insider talk of that, whether it be a sport or a particular, uh, or a particular activity of any kind. And um, the sort of same idea comes when um, a someone in the, medical, in the medical fraternity is exposed to COVID-19 versus a member of the general public being exposed to COVID-19. As far as the, the information that you were receiving as a patient now, being a member of the medical um, fraternity, in what ways would you say, um, if at all, was it different in, from the information that the general public or anyone in the general public would get if they were put in a similar position? I think with me, be, being um, a medical doctor, you, you have more information available to you. And you also interpret that information with a different mindset than, than what the general public would interpret that information as. So um, being, being positive wasn't the issue for me. Being positive, um, it was more about what does being positive mean in a, at a later stage, what are the long-term effects of having being positive for COVID-19? It is a respiratory illness. I already have asthma, um, and that's what put me at greater risk of having it. So for me, I was concerned about, does this mean that my lungs are going to be compromised even more than what they may have been prior to being tested positive with COVID-19? Um, and of course, like I said, being a medical doctor, you have more information available during that time because it was still the early stages of the, the COVID epidemic for us here in South Africa. There was still a lot of theories about coronavirus. There was a lot of information going around within the medical community as to how to treat it, what is the best treatment options, what you should stay away from, what you should and should not do um, for your patients. And I was sitting 
sitting here on the other side thinking, okay, so I'm not doing this. What does that mean for me? Does it mean it's going to affect me worse than others? Or, um, for example, chloroquine. There was there's this controversy about whether you should be using chloroquine or not because of the side effects of chloroquine, but it's also seemed to show positive effects in patients um, who are in ICU. Um, and I never received chloroquine and I actually phoned my own doctor and I said, look, should I be taking chloroquine even though I'm, I'm a few days into this and now I'm slowly starting to get better? Do I require this? So there was a lot of, there was a lot of back and forth for me between um, the, the doctors that were now look after me and um, in with, with regards to how I should be treated. And then of course, I was worried more about the long-term effects. So I think as a medical doctor being a patient, it makes it a lot worse for you because you're just, your mind, the, the wheels just turn and the smoke just comes out of your ears because you are now diagnosing yourself with other things that probably if you were a lay person, you wouldn't be worried about at all. So that definitely did also add to my general anxiety about being positive for COVID. Such an interesting view of you are now trying to treat yourself and trying to see what your treatment plan differs to your doctor's treatment plan and maybe even trying to interfere in your doctor's treatment plan. But now prior to testing positive for COVID, what symptoms were you displaying that pushed you to get the test? Well, I started out with a bit of a a blocked nose. Um, But, you know, being a doctor, I always kind of feel like we work these long hours and you always feel a little bit under the weather when you are post night shift. So you also don't really take your own health seriously. Um, but like I said, I had this blocked nose and then it just, it wasn't getting better. And with then my, my chest started to get tight and like, uh, I would previously use my asthma pump and that would that would relieve it. Whereas in this case, I I noticed I would have to take six puffs of my asthma pump as opposed to two, which I would normally take. And even though six puffs weren't really relieving it completely. And that sort of just got progressively worse. Um, And I eventually then decided to go to the doctor. It was actually the week of the lockdown, the, the, the week that the president announced that he's going to be closing down. Um, South Africa and I had gone to the doctor not with the intention of getting tested but more so that it's going to be locked down it's obvious the numbers are obviously going to rise I'm going to be busy at work so let me sort out this flu that seems to be exacerbating my asthma so that I can be in my best um, state for lockdown but when I went to the doctor she said um, that I actually have pneumonia it's not just a flu that's exacerbating my my um my asthma and i don't get pneumonia so so that was a little bit of a shock and um so she she put me on treatment for my pneumonia so a course of antibiotics and a course of steroids which help um an acute exacerbation of your asthma um uh, but the next day i was very short of breath i wasn't i was i wasn't able to walk up and down the stairs and that day it just seemed to be getting progressively worse as well and um, that's when we decided no let's just get tested for peace of mind's sake but no i didn't expect it to be positive at all um as i went along 
the symptoms just got worse. This is after testing now, before we had my results, before I was officially diagnosed positive. Um, so in addition to the blocked nose and the shortness of breath, I then developed um, I then developed this severe chest pain, central chest pain. And I think if I if I choose a symptom that stood out the most, it was definitely that. I never had a fever, which was quite strange because everybody at the time anyway was saying that fever is one of the defining symptoms of COVID-19. And in fact, that's what we've been using to screen patients. But my temperature never went above 36.5. Um, on a few days, I had a bit of a sore throat, um, but never had the headache or the general body pain. The defining symptoms for me were all chest symptoms, so chest pain and shortness of breath. Now, a lot's been made about the testing um, process for um, COVID-19. I, I can vividly recall um, the initial reaction when um, images and video clips started to surface of people going un- undergoing a test for COVID-19, um, that cotton swab up the nasal stream has not been received um, very well, certainly in um, the circles of, uh, in the social circles that I'm in. And I think it, it, did, it did its job to put a lot of people off of uh, being in contact with other people, making sure that they stay home, making sure that they observe social distancing and stuff. So as far as for you, when you were testing for the virus at, at the time where you, where you kind of figured out for yourself that something was wrong, what did you already know about COVID-19 at the time? And how did the testing process go for you personally? Well, the testing process for me initially, um, so I've been tested twice. First, when I got my positive result, and then 19 days later, I retested, and that's when I got my negative result. The first testing process, um, it wasn't as scary as, as, as the last one because, like I said, I also didn't expect it to be positive. So I, in my brain, I was just thinking, let me just get this over and done with so that I can be negative. That test, it was, uh, they sent me to a, a drive through a Lancet laboratory, Archie's drive-through and the nurse was lovely and I think she did a lot to put my mind at ease uh, before she tested me but yes she took that long cotton swab and fortunately enough at that time I don't think it was strict nasopharyngeal testing so what she did was an oropharyngeal test for me which is basically putting it in your mouth and getting the back of your throat uh, so that was my first test and that that wasn't a terrifying or terrible experience um, at all. And it was over within five minutes and uh, I left to go home. But after my 19-day self-isolation, I, I did a, the, the repeat test. And the repeat test, they did a nasopharyngeal and an oropharyngeal. The nasopharyngeal was probably the worst thing I've ever experienced in terms of testing that the, the swab goes in so deep, you really feel like somebody is picking your brain. And um, the poor nurse, she kept telling me to relax. And I, I didn't know there was a way you could relax your nose or your nostrils. So that was very, very difficult for me. My nose was bleeding for about two days afterwards. And um, 
it definitely gives you a headache and it makes your eyes water. So definitely it's not a pleasant experience, the nasopharyngeal testing. Um, and I'm glad it's what people are afraid of. They need to social distance because I definitely, I wouldn't wish this disease on anybody. And I am one of those people who after seeing the video of the actual testing was like, I am done. You will not see me outside ever again. I am terrified. But you have been very open about your experience and very grateful because um, we learned so much from your experience. So after testing positive for the virus, were you scared? Was your anxiety peaked? How, do you, how did you receive the news? And what were the steps that were followed immediately after? What happens after you have tested positive? Who calls you? Who do you have to tell? Um, if you can walk us through that. Sure. So the protocol immediately after you get tested, not necessarily after you test positive, is that you have to self-isolate for the time it takes for you to get your results. If your results are negative, then you're fine. You can come out of self-isolation. Obviously, if you're positive, then you need to continue your isolation. So that's exactly what happened with me. As soon as I um, went for my first test, I, I went up into my room and I didn't come out until what I thought was going to be my negative test result. But obviously that wasn't the case. So I went into my, I was in my room, the four walls for about 19 days in total um, with very strict hygiene practices. Um, I live with, with my mother and my sister at home. And they obviously weren't allowed in the room. So if you test positive and you're self-isolating, nobody should be in the same room that you are in. Um, you use separate dishes. So with me, they had to bring food to my door and they would leave it at my door on a tray. And then I would then take the tray and take it into my room. And then my dishes would go into a big container that we put into my room that had bleach in. Um, and because obviously I couldn't really wash my own dishes properly. Once that container was full, um, they would then take that container and then wash the dishes for me. And I had my own bathroom because you shouldn't be using the same bathroom if at all possible. I know it's not possible for a lot of people, but that's what should be happening. You don't use the same towels. You don't use the same face cloths. You basically have to be on your own. It's not a, a nice experience mentally and emotionally because you are, you are dealing with being sick, but also knowing that you can't really have your support system. Your support system is looking at you through a window or through, through the door. Um, so that's very difficult for me. My anxiety was quite high in the first couple of days while I was waiting to get my test results because it actually took six days for me to get my first test results. And like I said, that was in the beginning. So I think the turnover time for the tests were, were much longer. So during that time, um, even though part of me didn't expect it to be positive, I was still anxious that if this is positive, what does it mean? Um, and then at some point, I just had to switch off everything that related to COVID-19. So Instagram went off, Facebook went off, um, the news, I stopped watching the news because everybody was reporting on COVID. And how do you sit, how do you sit watching people die from the same disease that you have and not be freaked out about it? So, so that was what was happening with me. And then once I got my positive result, 
I think my brain and my body went into survival mode, um, fight or flight mode. And it was like, okay, cool. You now need to get through this. Um, and that's, that's what happened. I just kind of fought my way through it. But there were definitely days where um, I wasn't as strong mentally or emotionally. And I would cry because I, I was in my room alone, you know, for for 19 days which which is definitely it definitely does something to you mentally so you're fighting more than one battle you're fighting the physical battle you're fighting the mental battle and and because you are that sick as well it's it's very very scary it's very scary do you have um any idea of where you could have contracted the virus I have no idea where I got the virus from, which is quite scary because that means at that time anyway, somebody was walking around passing along COVID without knowing. I didn't come into contact with anybody that was positive. We had no positive cases where I work at the time. Um, I had, wasn't in contact with anybody that had traveled. So for me, it just it came out of nowhere. I'd, and that's why I say I hadn't, I didn't expect it at all to, to be positive. So yeah, you definitely have that mental gymnastics in terms of where you got it from, but also why is it happening to you? You know, we are all human beings and we question what happens to us and you try and find purpose in the bad stuff that happened to you. Um, and I've just decided because I don't know where it came from and I can't form a direct link and say, oh, you know, this is just the name of the game. It's a virus. It spreads from person to person. For me, I've just decided that the reason why I got it is because other people need to see that if you get it, you're not going to die. You're not going to end up in the ICU because that's the only part of COVID that's really reported, how the ICUs are struggling, how the doctors are overwhelmed, which is certainly true. But they are majority of patients are recovering and I think that's what I've chosen to believe is that I got it to show everybody else that if you get it yes you get sick but you can overcome it you know it is tough but it's also possible because I mean in the beginning when I got it I think I got it when we were at 1,300 patients and we had just had one death so it was a shock to everybody I know that I got COVID. And when, when we told my family and friends that I was positive, everybody panicked because they immediately thought I was going to die. And I think that's maybe the lesson that me becoming positive has maybe shown people that, you know what, we can, we can get through this. We can get through this, absolutely. And we can get through this with the doctors. We can get through this as a community. We can get through this with support and information. And that leads me to my next question. The situation changed you from a doctor on the front lines ready to fight this battle, this unknown enemy, to now a patient and a statistic. How did this make you feel? And what were the key differences for you from being on the front lines to now having this? I must say initially, um, or rather in the days when I wasn't as sick, you know, seeing my colleagues and seeing them at work, you know, over, over Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp video calls, I had a bit of FOMO because I think as a doctor, you just want to go out. You've been trained to go out and help. You know, you can't sit and watch people be sick and suffer and not do anything, you know. Um, 
So, so I had a bit of FOMO. I felt like I was sort of sitting at home and there were skills at home that were just kind of going to waste. So that was my mental process on the days when I was less sick. Um, but on the days when I was more sick, I think I didn't really even, I didn't even contemplate being a doctor. At that point, I wasn't a doctor. I was just another human being that is battling COVID. Um, now moving along to now being negative, having gone through all of that, I must say I'm quite scared. I, um, I, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want the anxiety that comes with it, the anxiety of knowing or, or questioning, is this COVID, is this not COVID, if I have a bit of a, of a, a runny nose later on, because we don't know if I'm immune yet. We don't have enough studies to show immunity. So I definitely am a little bit anxious, definitely am a little bit scared, but at the same time, I do acknowledge it is my duty. So... Um, if it is really, really required of me, I will, I will be there at the front line. But best you know, I'll be in full, full PPE, double PPE even, um, because, yeah, that's something you do not want to go through a second time. Well, this is a neat segue to my next question for you, Doc. I'd like, us, I'd like for you to paint the picture for us as far as um, going from uh, testing positive and the moment that you that you briefly um, touched on in your answers earlier where you talked about the decision that you made to fight through this um, being that it was um, bestowed upon you and you you felt you had no choice other than to put in the work put in the fight and successfully recover which you managed to do and again uh, we are absolutely grateful for that so as far as that process goes, going from testing positive to finding out that you tested negative again, finding out that you've recovered, how did you, how did you feel um, as an individual? Did you feel like you'd conquered the world? Did you feel like you'd, air quote, defy death, so to speak? How did, how, how did, the, how did those feelings manifest for you in the moments of you finding out that you successfully recovered? I actually just started crying. It wasn't like this big, glorious moment. Um, my doctor called me. She called me the very next day. Fortunately enough, it didn't take six days this time. It was, it was a few hours, actually. She called me and she said, Ash, I just want to let you know that it's, it's negative. And I just said thank you to her without thinking. And I put the phone down. And I came to my mother and my sister. And I was like, Mom, they said I'm negative. So, and then I just started crying and I actually asked her, mom, can you just hug me now? Because nobody had hugged me or anything in those 19 days because I was alone for the 19 days. So I think because I was in fight or flight for such a long time, um, when they told me I was negative, I think the fight or flight immediately just switched off and my body just allowed me to feel all that emotion that I had not necessarily put off or, or, or swallowed, but just just sort of was like, I shouldn't, I'm not going to focus on being scared or sad right now during that period. And I cried for a few days, actually. Um, I was just very, very emotional. I still wasn't like 100% um, completely recovered, 
but I, I, I definitely was over the worst and um, I just, I just cried. And then and eventually I started realizing, okay, I've, I've done this now. I'm, I'm part of the recovery statistics. And it, it, honestly, I don't think you feel like you've conquered the world or you've overcome death. Fortunately enough, I wasn't in a place where I needed to um, be in an ICU. I did definitely get sick, but not sick enough to be in that state. Um, but you, you, it, it sort of it, it doesn't it doesn't sit with you like that. It's just like okay, I'm alive. I think you're more happy about being alive than the fact that you've conquered this big thing. You're just like I'm okay, um, which is a which is an odd feeling. Maybe other people feel differently, but for me, it was just relief more than anything. And then trying to get back to normal life again, um, I, I needed to go back to work soon, and then go look after people um, who are just as sick. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think I really had a moment to sit back and think, hey, I've, I've conquered this. It was just, okay, we've done this. Let's deal with the emotions now and then let's get back to it. Let's just get back to it. I'm so moved by so many of your words and your your approach to combating this. And I think more than anything, your honesty in fighting this, in fighting COVID for yourself and on the front line, going back to the front line. But now I ask, you mentioned that you are at home with your sister and your mom, and you slightly touched on how your family received the news. But how did the reaction make you feel? And did you slightly feel potentially scared at the risk of potentially having exposed your family to this? How did the possible linkages and exposure make you feel? I was definitely um, worried about them. And also, you know, if they had to test positive, it would be my fault. How do you, how do you live with something like that? You know, and if, should they get really, really sick, you know, human being, you think to yourself, it's my fault that they're sick. Fortunately enough, everybody that I was in contact with, my mother, my sister, my boyfriend, and I was actually in contact with my aunt and uncle as well. They were all traced and they tested negative. So that I was really, really grateful for. But it is definitely scary. Um, and that's why we followed such strict hygiene practices. But don't get me wrong, they weren't easy to follow. There were many times where I actually tried to sneak out of my room. And in those moments, it, it wasn't necessarily me thinking about, hey, my mother and my sister live with me. If I come near them and I still happen to be positive, I could give it to them. It was more just me trying to fight a mental battle of being caged in those four walls, you know. So I would try to sneak out my room. But they, shame, they made it very, very easy on me. Um, they would come and we would have conversations across my bedroom door um, they would eat on the one side of my door and I would eat on the other side. So, so that definitely made it easier for me. But their reactions as well, they, I suppose nobody expected it. And everybody, everybody went through their stages of grief, if I could call it that. You know, there was first like, no, man, is she really positive? Is this not a mistake? Like, it doesn't make sense. But again, I've never been so sick before. Um, so people, we went through the laughing and then the crying and then the laughing again and then the happy tear crying. So I can definitely say we all, my mother, my sister, my family, my boyfriend, everybody went through a whole range of emotions, but we're all definitely happier now. 
that's for sure. That's wonderful to hear, Doctor. And um, you, you, you touched on it earlier, um, just now in your response, as far as um, how, your, how your family uh, took the news. I'm curious as to how your colleagues in the medical fraternity um, took the news to you testing positive and having to navigate um, the recovery process. Did they keep in touch with you regularly? Um, did they go to any lengths to try and keep your spirits up? How did they adapt um, their, 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 their roles of supporting you um, in this time as um, colleagues and close friends, if you will? And how did, what role did they play in your recovery process? Well, I mean, the first thing they had to do is, especially the, the, the friends who are colleagues that I work with, they had to all get tested because the Department of Health had to trace all my, my contacts. So those of those that I was in constant contact with, and not only like my parallel colleagues, as well as my, my seniors, my consultants as well, they all needed to, some of them needed them to go to into isolation, others went and got tested immediately. Um, it was up to them to decide. So that was the the first thing they did but they were definitely all very supportive I think the nice thing is, is that they all understand that this is just it's just a disease it's nobody's fault um, so I think a lot of them felt that should they test positive they don't blame me for it you know a lot of them were actually of the opinion they just kind of want to get it over and done with so they were extremely, extremely supportive. Um, obviously, I have a, a big group of doctor friends and everybody would just FaceTime and voice note and check up on me um, and just try and keep my spirits up by telling me what's happening at work, telling me what's happening on the outside. But also on the reverse side, I think for them, they also got scared because, hey, one of ours is sick this can really affect us the same way it seems to be affecting the doctors in Italy and in China um, so from that point of view a lot of people were were a little were, were quite shocked um, but then again like I said I tried to spread the message and they were also grateful for that because it it, it sort of gave gave the disease um, a personality if I could call it that it it, it, it gave it a face in in a sense um and it, it it taught a lot of people which made their lives a lot easier but they were definitely a big part in me getting through those 19 days alone so ashton you've spoken very fondly of your colleagues and the friends you've made within the legal fraternity no not legal fraternity that's my fraternity sorry three two one so, Ashton, you've spoken very fondly of your colleagues and the fellow medical practitioners within the fraternity and your experience and support that you received from your fellow doctors. But as a medical practitioner with the virus, did you have any support from the Department of Health? Did they offer you any treatment? Was there anything different for you from anyone else that they would have treated or helped during the coronavirus because you were a doctor? They definitely did contact me. Um, I must be honest, though, I, I, I'm not too sure what non-medical people's experience with them was. Mine was, mine was quite pleasant. They, they called me almost immediately after I tested positive, um, and they, they basically said that they need to do contact tracing. Um, so they took a, a, name, uh, a list of names down of all the people I had been connect, in contact with, I think over the last, must have been a week to two weeks, I think, um, and with the intention of contact tracing them. 
but also um, as as the 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 days went on, they called me every single day to see how I was doing. How, um, were my symptoms dissipating? Were they getting worse? Um, so I would basically just update them, but I would get calls from two different groups of people, um, the district and then like specifically the Department of Health. So I suspect that that was mainly because I was a medical doctor. I can't, I can't be certain, but I think so because um, when I spoke to my GP about it, she seemed to think that that was why the Department of Health was calling me rather than the district. So I, I think the district calls, calls non-medical personnel Whereas the actual department calls medical personnel just to check, because I suppose you you are um, part of their team, so to say. But they they definitely were very helpful. They call you up until day fourteen of your your isolation, because technically you should be no longer contagious. Uh, from day 14 and your symptoms should also be resolving from day 14. Um, unfortunately with me, my symptoms were um, a little bit, well, they, they rather the NICD classified me as a moderate to severe case, which I suspect was more because of my asthma. So I had a, I had an episode of hypoxia and cyanosis. So that's when you basically don't have a lot of oxygen um, in your tissues or in your blood, and then you your lips and your fingers go a little bit blue. Um, so based on that, they um, they extended my period of isolation. But throughout that, the Department of Health called. They never actually came to my house. I was under the impression they were supposed to come to your house and do like physical contact tracing. They did take my my address down a couple of times, but they never came to the house to do physical contact tracing. However, they did offer towards the end to come and do my repeat test at home so I didn't have to go out. Um, I chose not to do that because I was worried that the results were going to take much longer if I do it in state than if I do it in private. So I elected to just go privately. But they definitely were very, very helpful. As far as your response, thoughts and sentiments on the measures that our leadership has taken to help contain the spread of COVID-19 in this country, as both a South African citizen and a member of the medical fraternity. How do you feel about the way in which they've conducted this massively essential business, um, so to speak? Really glad that, um, that the president initiated the lockdown when he did, because it definitely has helped to, you know, they say flatten the curve, you know. Um, it doesn't mean we're not going to be affected the way the other countries have been affected, but definitely, hopefully, the hope anyway is that our numbers will be reduced. And I think um, trends have showed that our numbers, although they are climbing, the, the, the total number that we would have achieved is far less. So I'm really glad that he initiated the lockdown. I personally think he shouldn't have um, downgraded us to level four just yet. Um, but that's just my opinion. I think because now at level four, I think a lot of people are desperate to get out of their houses. A lot of people just want to be free of lockdown. So um, I'm sure you guys have been traveling um, and you've seen there's so many cars on the road. Um, it, it's, it's, it's quite it's quite 
shocking to see the number of cars on the road. And I do understand there's a lot of people that have gone back, but I also think there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of that because how do you, how do you regulate the amount of people um, going back to work now in level four? Because not everybody is carrying permits. As far as I know, um, the permits that people have are still from lockdown stage five. So, and, and of course, we've seen our numbers increase as well. So I personally think we should have extended um, level five lockdown and maybe possibly only now gone to level four. I do understand, though, that the economy is at risk and for the economy's sake, that's why he did what he did. But our numbers are definitely going to climb, um, which is not a great thing. But in the same time, you could argue that it is a good thing because eventually we'll reach our peak sooner. We can get over that peak and we can start to decline. Um, but I think our government has done really, really well. They seem to be they seem to be following up quite well. Um, I mean, you've seen the president and the minister of health travel to each province to assess the the the, the um, the procedures that they have in place. Um, I think, you know, there's always, always going to be room for improvement, but I think they've been doing really well. And I think a major step was also the act of screening for COVID cases, because I'm sure you guys that saw the World Health Organization say we were one of the only countries that were doing the act of screening where community health workers were going out into the communities, screening and then testing people based on that. It could be done on a larger scale, but again, nothing nothing can be done perfectly. Um, but I think we've done a good job so far. I think, though, it's not going to end anytime soon. And I think, you know, they definitely shouldn't give in to pressure from the public because it's understandable. They've been in lockdown for, what, five, six weeks now? So, of course, that's going to take a mental toll. But um, I definitely think he still needs to be quite strict about things and continue the way he has. 100%. We shouldn't be thinking about what people are feeling, but rather how to save lives. As President said when he was announcing this, that this is a mercy mission. We are going to save lives. This is to save South African lives. And I 100% agree with you. But I now, I've been struggling with whether I should ask you this question or not. So one of the measures implemented by the President, or one of the steps taken by the Department of Health to ready us for the pandemic and to ready us for our peak was to bring in Cuban doctors to come assist in the fight. And as a medical practitioner, Ashton, I'm very curious on what your take is on that because we have had some, some views that don't agree, some views that do agree. And I would, because you've spoken so honestly and have also come from a, being a patient of COVID-19, what do you think of the arrival of these medical doctors from Cuba? You know, Sipo, I think this is going to be a, a tough question to answer. Um, let me see. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think there are a lot of doctors and nurses, colleagues, or, or not, rather not colleagues, but friends of mine who are still sitting at home without jobs. And there are also a lot of private practitioners who because of lockdown and COVID are not as busy as your casualties or your pulmonologists, your ICUs, et cetera. And of course, private, you depend on the number of patients you see in terms of making your money. I personally feel they should have maybe made more of an effort to, 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 um, what's the word, recruit 
our own doctors that are sitting at home um, and, and, and maybe looked at that first before bringing in the Cuban doctors. I do understand that they think our numbers are going to increase to the extent where our, our, our medical workforce will not be enough. And that's a fair assumption to make. And yes, you make contingency plans for that. So I have no, I'm not opposed to them bringing in an extra workforce, but I do think they maybe should have made a bigger effort to first utilize South Africa's resources because they're also spending a lot of money to bring the Cuban doctors in. And um, you've got qualified doctors who are post-comserve, um, who are just sitting at home applying for jobs and they're not getting it. And as far as I know, there were no adverts or it wasn't wi widely spread for South African doctors. The only thing I saw, believe it or not, was a random WhatsApp that I got on one of my medical groups saying that there's a specific ICU in Johannesburg that needs more um, doctors. And if you happen to know of somebody, then, you know, please pass this message on. But that wasn't an official Department of Health message. That was probably somebody at the hospital, a consultant saying, hi, guys, just maybe just spread the word. Um, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair on South African doctors. The Cuban doctors, they also work on a different, um, should I say, system. You know, South Africa, we are a curative society, whereas Cuba is preventative. And I do understand that, you know, prevention is better than cure, and they also have an understanding of COVID. But they are also now in a foreign environment. So you may or may not have issues about, you know, them having to first get used to our environment before they can actually make a real difference. You know, they will help, but it's, it's a matter of how much help are they going to give us um, and how long is it going to take for that help, help to make a difference, to show a difference. But um, I'm, I'm waiting to see like the rest of the country. I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not opposed to them bringing in extra help. I just think that they could have been a little bit more tactful about it. I can certainly appreciate the fact that um, the news was always going to be polarizing as far as the welcoming of Cuban doctors into our medical landscape to help our doctors and everyone on our front lines deal with this pandemic. I didn't expect it to be universally accepted, so to speak. When you consider everything that you heard and the information that you chose to take in during your time what advice would you um, impart to the public, to those listening to the COVID report, to members of the general public here in South Africa, as far as information they need to arm themselves with in our continued fight against this pandemic? I think the first thing that I want to make very, very clear is this, this disease, this epidemic, this pandemic is not a joke. It's not a hoax. It's not 5G. And it's certainly not the government trying to control you. People are dying because it can become very, very serious. So you need to really look after your health. It's not the government's job to look after your health. It's the government's job to keep you safe. And that's what they're trying to do. But your health is in your own hands. So I would say instead of fighting 
the lockdowns and the restrictions. Find a way to make them work. I understand it's difficult for some people given the economy and et cetera, but your health comes first. There's no point in having a lot of money if you're dead. So that would be the very, very first thing I say is please listen to government, adhere to the restrictions, adhere to lockdown rules. Only go out when you need to. And you know that this has been said over and over and over again. Practice the hygiene. So that is standard that I will just reiterate. What I do want to say, however, is if you are somebody who is affected by COVID, um, if you test COVID positive, I would say that it's not the end. It's not the end of the world. And it's not a death sentence. If I can do it and sometimes I have questionable health, then everybody else can do it too. Um, and I think it, it, it's uh, the message I want to send is just a message of, 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 of what should I call it? Of being, just being, being strong about it. You know, it's it, because the media really is showing that people are going to die. You know, and unfortunately, if you get that sick, you know, there's not much we can do in that regard. But it's not the end of the world if you get COVID. You just got to stay strong. You got to do what your GP says and protect yourself and protect those around you. Um, it's not an easy disease. And this is why I want people to stay at home. I want people to to wash hands, to to sanitize, because it will change your life. I feel like it honestly has changed my life um, in ways I'm still trying to figure out. And I, I wouldn't, like I said earlier, I wouldn't wish this disease on anybody. So people need to stay home, stay safe, and look after themselves. And that's on the COVID report with Dr. Ashlyn Jobs speaking eloquently, meaningfully, honestly about her experience of COVID-19 and contracting this virus that we have dedicated a show and many shows to, to understanding its effects. She is a 27-year-old doctor born in Eldorado Park and still living in Johannesburg. She graduated from the University of the Witwatersrand uh, with a medical degree and has been practicing ever since. She is currently working as a pediatric medical officer in a Johannesburg hospital with the hope of formally specializing in pediatrics and someone who has survived the coronavirus and has survived it and been able to speak about her experience afterwards and to share her experience afterwards. And we are so grateful to have had her on the show here on the COVID report. She has shared things that I had never even thought about. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ashlyn. Thank you so much for having me guys. This was fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story.